Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges, are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Welcome back to this week's podcast. And I'd like to begin by asking you if you've ever heard the philosophical term razors, not the kind of razors you trim your whiskers with, or not everyone has whiskers, I understand that, but not the razor blade types. A razor in philosophy, are, these are principles or rules of thumb that, that try to kind of shave off unlikely explanations in order to get to a more likely explanation. And one of the more popular razors, as far as I'm concerned, is Occam's razor. And Occam's razor states that the simplest explanation is preferable to one that is more complex. Kind of makes sense, right? So let's say I wake up and I have a headache. And knowing that I am this very hysterical person, I think, oh no, I may have the bubonic plague. Now, it's true that one of the symptoms of bubonic plague is a headache. But the likelihood that I have such a rare disease caused by a flea bite typically confined to animals living in the southwest part of the United States, and I live in the northeast, well, it's not likely. A much simpler explanation would be that my headache is merely a, a state of dehydration or coming down with a common cold. So in life, we either complex things and make them more difficult, or we simplify them make them a bit easier to grasp. I mentioned Occam's razor because in my years of personal and training analysis, I wrestled with the complexities inherent in Freudian theory, in Jungian theory. And when I started my practice, this is back 1976 or seven, uh, I did my best to regurgitate and apply what I had learned. So people would come in, my clients, my patients, and I would kind of find myself almost using a cookie-cutter approach, such as the Oedipal complex, symbols of the collective unconscious, transference, the id, the ego, the superego, a lot of stuff. And I tried to, in a sense, get my patients to conform to my theory. I mean, after all, being a fledgling psychologist, was your potty training too strict? You know, we needed to know those things. So we would we would go according to a kind of theoretical framework that certain things happen, and we needed to uncover the shroud of why these things took place. So you might think that this is a very satisfying way to begin a practice. And it was, except that I kind of felt rudderless. In those early days, I, I felt kind of adrift. 
I was unable to satisfactorily offer tangible explanations. Rather than concrete suggestions, we just kept analyzing and digging and digging. This did not sit well for me. Now, I'm not sure how I stumbled onto my personal Occam's razor. And what I'm about to tell you, I know, is not going to overwhelm you. Quite the contrary. It's probably going to underwhelm you. <laughs> but it occurred to me that the reason my patients suffered from anxiety was because they were thinking anxious thoughts. And the reason some suffered from depression was because they were having depressive thoughts. So are you underwhelmed yet? <laughs> I, I would imagine so. Fair enough, but this even this is too complex. It assumes that anxiety and depression come from, well, well, where? Now let's think about this yeah, a little more deeply. Maybe you've been convinced that anxiety, depression, emotional struggle in general, it just happens to you, right? You just become depressed. You become anxious. Now, there's no question that our perception of psychological struggle has been tainted by the medical model. We call it mental illness. Now, I have a problem with the term illness. Because when I think of illness, you know, I think of a flu or my recent experience with the damn COVID. <laughs> and to me, an illness is something you catch, something you contract. Now, so the question I have for you is, do you think you catch anxiety? You catch depression? See, it doesn't, doesn't sound right, does it? Well, it didn't to me either. And yet when someone says, I have anxiety or I'm depressed, oftentimes, are they treating anxiety and depression like diseases, illnesses? And by that, I mean, aren't they feeling victimized as you would with a flu or a virus? Aren't they feeling the same way? Helpless, victimized, powerless? But if we reject the notion that we are hapless victims of anxiety, depression, then the simple answer to why we suffer is because we embrace and we perpetuate the thoughts that stress and deplete us, causing emotional struggle. So how did this come about? Well, we look no further than insecurity. And let me run through this offering my self-coaching cliff notes because it's essential that you understand this foundation of why we come to struggle. So our early vulnerability, we are vulnerable creatures. We grow up in a world where we don't have the protective armor, the claws to fight off, the wings to flap away. We are rather defenseless, vulnerable creatures. So we have some degree of insecurity, vulnerability. No one grows up with perfect parents. We suffer loss, separations. We develop all of these feelings of being somewhat unsafe. And what do we do about that? Well, instinctually, as human beings, we want to go on living and surviving. So we do what we do in order to feel more in control. And we develop strategies of thinking that ostensibly were geared to make us safer and more in control. So we ward off our 
vulnerabilities by trying to control life in various ways. And depending on the degree of insecurity that you've grown up with, these strategies may have morphed into neurotic habits of control. Now, no one is going to refute the fact that control is a good thing. If we button up before we go out in the cold, if we uh, get prepared for a snowstorm, a blizzard, a hurricane, whatever it might be, that type of control, putting your seatbelt on, taking vitamins, that's good stuff. That's good control. But then there's neurotic control. And that's more of what we're after. Neurotic control is why we suffer. And neurotic control is over-controlling life. It's seeing danger in safe places. It's anticipating bad things that may or may not happen. It's defiling our moment, our present moment, with thoughts of dread, pessimism, danger. So when you are trying to over-control life, the impetus to that comes from the historical desire to feel less vulnerable. And the more insecure you are, or, and this is important, the more you have reinforced the need to control life, to over-control life rather than to handle life, the more you have reinforced those habits of control, the less you've developed your trust muscle to handle life as it unfolds. So the neurotic controlling attitude or perception is that you have to control life before it happens. You have to anticipate, you have to be ready, you have to be braced because you don't have enough trust to just let life unfold, knowing in your heart of hearts that you'll take care of yourself. You've done it before, you'll do it again. Not without self-trust, you can't do that. So if you've been caught up in habits of insecurity that have skewed your life toward over-controlling life, wringing your hands, trying to prevent, protect, feel less vulnerable. Again, when in fact you are not being attacked, you're not being threatened, there is no imminent danger. But when this just becomes your style of living, well, what does this mean? Well, it means that our neurotic habits of thinking create life friction. And that's what's important. You see, holding back the ocean is an impossibility. Controlling every aspect of life is an impossibility. Attempting to do that is a fool's errand. But when we are neurotic enough, we're only concerned with trying to hold back the ocean, the waves. Neurotic habits create life frictions. Friction is a form of stress. And stress depletes. And psychological depletion is both emotional and physical. Bottom line, it's why we suffer. Anxiety, depression, sure, our chemicals are involved in why we suffer. But if friction and stress depletes, then we deplete these valuable balancing chemicals in our brain. So we become compromised, not just with our thoughts, but also physiologically. Stress depletes. So the simplistic answer that you may be looking for is, if you want to end your struggles, well, then you have to end the unchecked thoughts that both create and sustain your suffering. Let's go back to Occam's razor. 
We are anxious because we've become conditioned to distrust our ability to handle life as it unfolds. Okay, simple, right? To the point, not that complex. We don't need to understand the id, the ego, the superego, the unconscious, the semi-conscious. No. We've become conditioned to distrust our ability to handle life. And as I've said, we then neurotically try to control life, either with our incessant ruminative worrying about what's happening, what's going to happen, or by retreating, giving up, feeling helpless and depressed. You've probably seen a child's pinwheel. You know those, I, I guess, yeah, the pinwheels. And it's usually on a stick, and they kind of look like a star thing with kind of uh, twisted. I think you know what I'm talking about. Well, in order to get the pinwheel to spin, you have to blow on it. Stop blowing, and the pinwheel stops rotating. Anxiety and depression are pinwheels. Our neurotic thoughts are what keeps our struggle spinning. Now, although I'm not going to delve too deeply into how you stop the spinning, and I will be dealing with this on an ongoing basis as I have in the past, but for today, I think it's important for you to know that your thoughts don't have a mind of their own. You either step back, allowing your insecurity-driven thinking to go unchecked, or you begin to reframe these thoughts. Now, if you came to me for therapy, what do you think would happen? Well, I can tell you, from the very beginning, I would try to help you connect with those unchecked, destructive thoughts, the thoughts of insecurity-driven thinking. These are the doubts, the fears, the pessimistic negatives. And over time, I would work to help you confront these neurotic distortions and replacing them with more objective, healthy, mature thoughts. You know, one thing I would say I notice in the many years of practicing psychology is that most neurotic thoughts are tinged with a childlike quality, an immature quality. You hear a whining sometimes, hysterical, childlike fear. It's like I mentioned at the beginning. Oh, no, I have the bubonic plague. You know, and you start to spin around with those thoughts and you get kind of hysterical. Insecurity, the historical aspect of our habit of insecurity, taints our thoughts, our potentially healthy thoughts, with that childlike quality, that immature quality. The opposite, psychological maturity, is accepting the fact that ending your struggle begins and ends with you. Now, whether it's a psychologist, a yogi, a shaman, uh, it doesn't matter. It begins and ends with you. Everything you need, you already possess. You know, there's a Zen expression, when the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. And there is a follow-up to that statement. When the pupil is really ready, the teacher vanishes. And that's what we're after. Yeah, you can go for therapy. It's wonderful. I mean, of course, <laughs> of course, that's what I'm going to say. But, but understand that what a therapist does, he doesn't, he doesn't really do the answering for you. The answering comes from the application of you extricating yourself from the spinning. Therapists can't do that for you. 
when I see people, I try to help them see what they're not seeing, to take pause and realize the quality of the thoughts that they're just reflexively clinging to. I can't do this. It's too hard. What will happen if the... these are the thoughts that we just passively cling to? And they stress us, they create friction, and we suffer. So to get in touch with these thoughts, assuming that you are not wanting to pursue therapy, and then certainly not therapy isn't for everyone, and this is going to require conscious scrutiny. Yeah, it's easier when a therapist provides the clarity, but anyone can begin to learn the process of learning to listen for contaminated thoughts, hearing these thoughts, reflecting on them, and then reframing these thoughts. You see, they're not your thoughts. The thoughts that are tripping you up, creating your frictions, and offering you a life of difficulty and suffering, these are thoughts of insecurity. And you are not your insecurity. Insecurity is a habit. It's a learned habit. As I've mentioned earlier, we grow up vulnerable. We develop insecurities. And we try to compensate by over-controlling life. So insecurity develops through habit, through reinforcement, a mind of its own. And if you're passive, of course, then you're in the back seat. And who do you think's driving your life? Well, it's insecurity, the habit of insecurity. And when we've succumbed to emotional struggle, we've long ago lost trust that we can live our lives in the present without preparing ourselves for the uncertain future ahead. The what-ifs. We develop a reflexive strategy of fear, doubt, negativity, desperately trying to compensate for our lack of self-trust. So whether it's understanding that, as Sir Occam might say, anxious people have anxious thoughts, depressed people have depressed thoughts. Your job, starting today, is to realize that you are generating, you are keeping that spin wheel of emotional struggle spinning. And only you can back away from that in you which is keeping the wheel spinning. You do that by catching the thoughts that are reinforcing an outdated historical myth that you can't trust yourself to handle life. Self-trust is the bottom line of self-coaching. With self-trust, you can live in the present moment with the confidence, with the maturity that you can deal with life as it happens. Without self-trust, you need the compensatory, insecurity-driven need to over-control, anticipate, ruminate, and stress over life and what might be. As I always say in my closing, let's make it simple and keep Occam's razor in mind. Don't make it complex. Next time you have a headache, it's not the bubonic plague. The next time you feel panicky, out of control, what's the simple thing you can do? Well, check out the thoughts that are spinning the wheel faster and faster. You do have sway over those thoughts. I mean, you'll, you'll face resistance. Habits are stubborn things. But keep in mind that all habits are learned, and all habits can be unlearned. 
or broken. So if you have a habit of insecurity that has hijacked your thinking and has contributed to the stress and friction and anxiety and depression of your life, well, then understand the habit nature of who and what we are as human beings and realize that we're either feeding or starving. So if you have a habit of insecurity that's contributing to your ongoing struggles, got to catch yourself. What am I doing that feeds this problem? And specifically, what are the thoughts, the fears, the anxieties, the doubts, the negativity? What's feeding it? And what am I doing to say no? Reframe those thoughts. Be objective. Bring in the reality of the moment, not the fear and the childlike hysteria, but bring in the objective reality of what life is challenging you with. That's what psychological maturity is all about. And I guess I would say that aside from saying earlier that self-trust is the bottom line of self-coaching, I'm going to add to that and say that equally important to self-trust is the development of psychological maturity. What is psychological maturity? So let me end on this note. Psychological maturity is a willingness to risk believing that you can handle life, that you don't have to avoid it, sidestep it, or otherwise retreat from it. Psychological maturity is handling life. And with that, I would ask you to visit my website, selfcoaching.net. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram and all that other good stuff. But if you do go to my website, take a look at my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, because I think that's a good place to start if you want to do this and you're really wanting to do it on your own. Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless. You are not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until, like Sir Occam, you make it simple. So join me every week. And how about we make it simple together? Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. Follow your heart. This is your way. Let